This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. I'm Benjamin Day. I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Except for the creators of the Iowa voting app. Uh, I'm not sure I even need to ask you no. why you're leaving them off, but do you have any specific reason? Well, they did help us kick off the primary season with an epic blow Total to faith up. in our democracy. <laughs> um, but also a blow to capitalism as the solution to the problems of democracy. I, well put. I it's mean, a silver lining. Democracy is so overrated anyway. Though. I mean, so as you were saying, I mean, a few things have happened in this past week since our last episode. There was the Iowa caucuses, uh, epic debacle. There was uh, an impeachment vote in the Senate. There was uh, Trump's State of the Union address, um, which we all enjoyed listening to. Uh, there was a New Hampshire Democratic primary debate because, as we are recording this, the New Hampshire primaries are tomorrow. As you were listening to this, they are right now, uh, happening right now. And then most importantly, of course, the Oscars happened on Sunday. <laughs> so my question for you, Stephanie, is what was your highlight of your last week, uh, even if it had absolutely nothing to do with any of those things? Uh, well... I'm just going to be basic and say that actually Parasite winning best film was the highlight. Oh, my of God. My you, yeah. you straight up love that movie? I did. And it's just a whole thing about, you know, Asian representation mm -hmm. in media. <laughs> it's really, really bad. We're either, you know, martial arts masters mm -hmm. or freaky ass <laughs> ghosts and horror shows. Or in the case of women, like sexual curiosities or cutesy, like personified Hello Kitties or both. <laughs> Um, so for me, it's just amazing to see a story come out of East Asia that deals with universal themes of human experience that resonate with a Western audience. That was quite a pitch. I have not seen the movie, but I did watch the Oscars and they cleaned up. They cleaned up in all That's the so categories. They it. were single-handedly like taking on Oscars So White. <laughs> 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 if it weren't for that movie, the Oscars would have been in trouble this year a lot also. <laughs> Um, so for my highlight of my last, my week, um, uh, one of my new year's resolutions, I don't really make new year's resolutions. I make like a new year to-do list, which is so lame, but That's so me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on my list is to master eggs Benedict. And the hardest part of the eggs Benedict is the hollandaise sauce. And I've tried multiple times. My, my hollandaise sauce tends to break so that, you know, the butter separates from the other stuff and it looks like you have a tiny little like scrambled egg sauce which is disgusting uh. but over the weekend it held together and it was beautiful and delicious and very bad for my calorie count oh my goodness but major achievement i'm gonna have to introduce ben to Nora's hollandaise sauce packets no <laughs> don't do it a dollar 99 market basket oh no that's cheating i can't <laughs> i can't it wouldn't satisfy my new year's resolution so um, I guess uh, we're going to jump into Iowa first. So one of the most interesting things coming out of the Iowa caucuses, um, aside from, you know, the election outcomes, was that um, Edison Research, funded by the Washington Post, um, did entrance polling. So this is where they survey people who are going in to actually vote. 
talking to actual votes. So entrance polling and exit polling tend to be the most reliable, uh, more so than just like calling through phone banks and trying to figure out who's a voter and who's not a voter and asking them questions. Um, and they asked Iowa caucus goers whether they support Medicare for all. Uh, but because this was a Washington Post poll, um, the wording was highly, uh, I'd say, antagonistic towards Medicare for all. This is the question they asked. They said, uh, how do you feel about replacing all private health insurance with a single government plan for everyone? <laughs> they don't use the word Medicare for all, which polls very well. Uh, nonetheless, six out of 10 Iowa voters uh, said yes. They, they support uh, replacing all private health insurance with a single government plan for everyone. Take away from that. <laughs> Only because they've been inoculated against that argument already because mm -hmm. the Washington Post has been using it for the past year. Constantly. <laughs> um, and I think it that poll sort of belies the establishment narrative that mm -hmm. supports, you know, the idea that single payer plunges, support for single payer plunges when people realize it means getting rid of private mm -hmm. insurance. Um, it's always interesting, I think, that these polls test what happens to support for Medicare for all when you tell them it takes something away and they never test when, you know, people find out that it actually... What you gain. Yeah, <laughs> what you gain, that you get, you know, you, you get your copays and deductibles taken away or that you still get to see the doctor of your choice and actually your doctor choice, of course, expands because it eliminates networks. Um, would love to see polling uh, on that. Yeah, and I, I mean, some people claim that it's polling, like what happens when you when you add details to what happens with the Medicare for All plan. But in reality, a lot of this is just opposition research. So they're testing what are the lies you can tell about Medicare for All that work the best. And what they've found generally is that if you scare people that they're going to lose Medicare, that that works effectively. Um, the Medicare that they have right now under Medicare for All, ironically. Um, and then if you scare people about losing their private health insurance, that's the other thing that works really well, also a lie. Um, and of course, using this framing of like government run healthcare tends to scare people off. So WAPO just kind of combined together all those opposition research findings into one question. And yet still six out of 10 uh, Iowa caucus vote, uh, voters supported it. And to me, what was interesting is that that is way, way more voters than you know, voted for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, right? Yeah. This is clearly quite a, quite a few Biden supporters, Buttigieg supporters, I mean, especially Buttigieg supporters who did really well in Iowa. Um, any other takeaways from Iowa before we move on to the wretched State of the Union address? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but just to add on to what you're saying about that, I think Medicare for all suffers from political feasibility in right. the same mm -hmm. way that progressive candidates suffer from concerns about electoral electability. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that in the same way that candidates can benefit from momentum, so can progressive ideas like mm -hmm. Medicare for all, because, you know, people, they may support Medicare for all, but they think it's not politically feasible. And then when they see that it does become politically feasible, then they can jump on the bandwagon. So I think that, you know, the polls that show there are people who voted for Pete Buttigieg or some more moderate mm -hmm. candidates, but also do support Medicare for all can easily be captured by our movement once the momentum is going because they're not, you know, ideologically opposed to Medicare for all. And lo and behold, even a lot of independents, <laughs> vast majority of independents support Medicare for all and not a majority of Republicans most in most polls, but a very sizable percentage uh, of Republicans as well. We're uh, coming after your voters too, Republicans. That's right. And uh, all the other Fringe parties. <laughs> I think a thousand percent of Green Party uh, supporters support Medicare for all. Um, so speaking of Republicans, uh, shall we transition 
So this week, Trump gave his State of the Union address, which I could not bear to watch. So we're going to have to rely on Ben's insights here. Um, I did read some of the coverage. Apparently, among many of his Trump straight up lies about, you know, his record on health care, he claimed he protected pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. during his term, that he brought down drug prices. Uh, in addition to that, he also went full McCarthy on Medicare for all. So let's listen to that clip. Yeah, and I suffered through this whole State of the Union address just so I could pull out the clips and you could listen to them <laughs> in isolation. Um, but even the small sections are gonna be a little bit painful, but let's, let's listen now. But as we work to improve Americans' health care, there are those who want to take away your health care take away your doctor, and abolish private insurance entirely. 132 lawmakers in this room have endorsed legislation to impose a socialist takeover of our health care system, wiping out the private health insurance plans of 180 million very happy Americans. (laughs) To those watching at home tonight, I want you to know we will never let socialism destroy American health care. Wow. <laughs> that was um, a nostalgic little trip back to the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> um, ben, what do you think? Is Medicare for all a socialist takeover of health care or a communist takeover of health care? That's Did not he a, go far enough? That sounds like a Washington Post polling question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to answer. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I would say that uh, Trump did not turn to a poll-tested messaging here. This is not straight out of the focus groups. I kind of feel like the socialist attack on Medicare for All is less effective these days. Maybe with, like, uh, hardcore, like, with his base, I think it might work. A little bit of boy boy cried wolf, you know. Everything is socialism, and now it's almost... And, you know, we should also mention that Later in his speech, he uh, he says, I will always protect your Medicare and your Social Security. Right. I mean, does he think that Medicare is a socialist takeover of health care for seniors? Um, is he defending socialism for seniors, but defending us from socialism for everyone who's under 65? Um, I mean, totally incoherent, I think. Um, and, and I also noticed in, during that clip, you'll notice he did not use the term Medicare for all. Also didn't use the term single payer, just because I think the cognitive dissonance of calling it Medicare for all and then defending Medicare in the next uh, couple paragraphs later is just too much uh, even to listen to. Um, But uh, you did notice the clip where he said it's going to take private insurance away from 180 million people who are so-called happy with it. And you and I are both among those 180 million. <laughs> uh, we have the best healthcare we can buy, and it still fucking sucks. I'm not happy it with absolutely it. Absolutely sucks. Uh, just the copay. We we get the best plan you are allowed to get through the exchanges, a platinum level plan, and the deductibles and copayments and limited networks are still just astonishing. Like our day to day fights with our insurance companies that we talk about in the office office are ridiculous. Um, so that claim obviously is insane, but this was the first time I've heard Trump use the argument that uh, Medicare for All is going to take away your private health insurance from 100 and however many million people. Um, I- I've never heard him make that argument until today. Uh, I wonder where he got it from. I mean, have you heard this argument anywhere else recently, Stephanie? <laughs> it's amazing because when we were naive waifs at the beginning <laughs> of our single-payer 
career, we thought that attacks were going to originate from Republicans. Mm -hmm. And it turns out now that actually we have to fight the establishment Democrats before we get to the big (laughs) boss, you know. I thought we'd be arguing about long queues and waiting times. Exactly. Not a socialist takeover of healthcare. But yeah, this this talking point is straight from Joe Biden's campaign and Pete Buttigieg's campaign. Um, They're the ones who have sort of uh, polished off this anti-Medicare for all messaging, um, trying to scaremonger about how it will impact people with private health insurance. Of course, it would take away your deductibles, your co-payments. You would never lose health insurance ever again. Your employer wouldn't get to decide what kind of health care you have. Uh, I'm about to go off on a rant. I'm going to stop myself right there because <laughs> um, I know there's a lot more to talk about. But, you know, um, yeah, so... Um, it does say something about how <laughs> disingenuous the arguments against Medicare for all are becoming because, you know, as some of the arguments that we've used before, like rationing and mm-hmm. wait times and that kind of thing, you know, they seem to resonate a little bit less. Um, they sort of turn to, you know, trying to scare people a little bit away from losing what they have. And I think that, you know, that argument isn't going to last that long either. Yeah. I, I mean, the last thing to say about this quote, and then I'll, I'll stop ranting, um, it does mark like the full evolution of Trump on healthcare. Um, People hopefully know that Trump was basically a Medicare for All supporter for almost his whole life. Uh, he wrote about it in his book, in his like autobiography, how he supported Medicare for All. He was challenged uh, about it during the Republican primary debates when he ran in 2016. Um, and then even when he ran in 2016, he kind of abandoned his support for Medicare for All. But he had some like maverick Democrat-ish, Democratic-ish positions, like he wanted to have Medicare bargain Uh, for drug prices, which is like a staple Democratic position. He supported abortion. Yeah, yeah. And he's now like fully evolved to like a a total right wing free market ideologue um, who is making socialist attacks on anything that is not like, um, you know, hyper capitalism, essentially. Just something about how deep his convictions were all along. I don't think he has convictions. He's just a wind up robot. So. Um, but yeah, this is where we've ended up. He he ran on draining the swamp, and now he is the swamp, basically. Yeah. So aside from the socialism stuff that was you know brought up in Trump's State of the Union mm-hmm. speech, he also made uh, the classic sort of undeserving immigrant argument against mm-hmm. Medicare for all. Um, let's roll that clip. Over 130 legislators in this chamber have endorsed legislation that would bankrupt our nation by providing free taxpayer-funded health care to millions of illegal aliens, forcing taxpayers to subsidize free care for anyone in the world who unlawfully crosses our borders. And there it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ben, of all the ways to attack Medicare for all, Mm -hmm. I mean, he could talk about the cost, he could do the classic Republican rationing, Mm -hmm. you know. Why talk about undocumented immigrants who make up such a small percentage of the country? <laughs> well, you know, this obviously fits with his wall messaging, which I think this was actually his transition to just anti-immigrant ranting and about how great his wall is um, that he claims he's building. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll say one thing about this. Uh, you know, both of you and I have done a lot of canvassing over the years where we just go out and have to talk to people about Medicare for all. Maybe we're gathering sig- signatures for a ballot initiative on Medicare for all. Yeah. Um, I have never once in my life um, had someone 
express worry about a socialist takeover of their healthcare system when we're talking about Medicare for all. It happened to me once right. in the financial district. What were you doing canvassing <laughs> in the financial district? This was before I knew the layout of Boston, okay. and I had accidentally wandered it's into like it. Downtown. I know. <laughs> it's like everyone here is wearing a suit. Right. Well, that aside, uh, I've never had this sort of socialism, uh, red baiting, fear mongering from a, an ordinary normal person Absolutely. on the street. Absolutely, I agree. Um, but I, I have been shocked by how often I do hear from people who are afraid that it's going to cover undocumented immigrants. They usually say illegal immigrants. They say, is this going to cover illegal immigrants? And that's, uh, I actually, I appreciate that they ask it because you can then have a conversation about it, which probably most people don't get a chance to have. So this is an attack from Trump that, you know, like everything else, um, it's clearly, um, you know, it, it's a it's a rhetorical device for him. I don't even know what he believes on this issue. Um, but it's something that I think we do need to be able to talk to other people about on the ground. So it's a more it's an important issue to address, I think, aside Trump aside. Yeah, we don't want to end up like the European countries who created a solidarity around uh, basically their own ethnic mm -hmm. groups. <laughs> yeah. The Danes think of themselves, you know, as a tribe. And now mm -hmm. they're having difficulty incorporating um, immigrants, especially immigrants who don't look like them, mm -hmm. uh, into their welfare society. Um, and I think that that's why it's so important to build like a multiracial, you know, multi-ethnic coalition around our rights. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, when I talk to people about this, I think there's two important points to make. Um, one is that this specter that Trump is raising of essentially, uh, you know, U.S. born taxpayers subsidizing immigrants health care, free health care is false. Yeah. It's uh, it's just a false narrative. The actual truth is the opposite. Um, that immigrants subsidize the health care system for U.S. born us, uh, residents, um, massively subsidize. Um, and there was a great research article done in uh, 2013 by actually a number of our, our friends in the Medicare for All movement were involved with it. Um, and they looked at just Medicare Part A. So this is just the hospital part. Um, and they found that between 2002 and 2009, immigrants contributed $115 billion more to Medicare than they took out of Medicare, than they received in benefits. Um, and that, again, is just hospital coverage, so the number is even staggeringly more large uh, if you were to include, like, physician care and prescription drug coverage. Um, on the other side, U.S.-born people generated a, a $31 billion deficit just on their own. That means they were using way, way more benefits than they were putting back into the system. Um, and there's a few reasons for this. One, obviously, immigrants are overwhelmingly uh, tend to be younger and also tend to work. So that means they are paying into the healthcare system through the payroll tax. Um, and uh, they're not taking out the system until they get much older. Um, but even then, many immigrants who do pay into this system are not even eligible to get the benefits when they get older. Obviously, all undocumented immigrants uh, are not eligible for Medicare benefits once they turn 65. And there's a number of documented immigrant categories who also cannot receive uh, Medicare benefits even when they have done everything the right way legally and um, uh, turn 65. So the truth is actually that the best thing you can possibly do to keep your healthcare system financially solvent and to protect the healthcare of U.S.-born residents is to have as many immigrants in the system as possible. Um, so that's like number one. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, Medicare for all is also a justice movement for immigrants who are paying right. into a system that they cannot draw upon. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just the tragedy of it is that they are scapegoated for um, increasing Medicare costs mm -hmm. or 
for not ha- not being able to have a universal health care system when actually right. they're the ones keeping it afloat. Such a tragic irony. Right. And actually, you know, there's a whole other conversation about how um, a lot of barriers have been set up to getting Medicaid in a bunch of states um, where they add these like ID requirements and things that they claim are to keep undocumented people off of Medicaid. But in fact, they almost only keep off older people who have a hard time getting their records uh, or maybe, you know, they've lived through a natural disaster like a flood or something and their records are gone. Um, So uh, those systems generally don't keep out any undocumented immigrants. They only keep out documented people. It's sort of like the voter uh, disenfranchisement movement. Um, But the other thing I think, aside from the cost argument, is just like you were saying, like, we have to make a moral argument and I think take the moral part, like, directly on. Uh, We do have a law in the United States that says hospitals are not allowed to turn away anyone who needs emergency care, um, regardless of their status, regardless of anything else. It's just illegal for a hospital to say, no, we're not going to care for you if you show up with, like, a broken leg or if you're bleeding or something is, you know, truly urgently wrong with you. And this legislation was passed by the Republican Party, um, you know, a number of decades ago. Um, But uh, and I think that's an obvious moral thing, right? I think almost all of us believe that um, to have someone come to you urgently with a broken leg or something to send them home to die is immoral under all circumstances, right? Um, But what we don't talk about is to deny people access to a health plan that gives them preventive care is also killing them. It's the same thing. It kills them further down the road. So I I truly believe uh, we just have to make this a moral case. I think it's a moral case that that spans the parties, um, but people don't always think about it. All right. So next up, um, we had a Democratic debate in New Hampshire, which is the next primary state coming up. Um, And yet again, uh, Medicare for All kind of dominated this debate discussion and was just like a a crucial issue distinguishing the the candidates from one another. Um, And there was a few different discussions that came up around Medicare for All. We'll kind of break them down one by one. The first I want to talk about, there was kind of a fiery exchange between Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders about whether Medicare for All is a divisive issue that, you know, divides the country, this is what Pete Buttigieg has been claiming, um, or whether it's in fact a policy that unifies and brings together working people, which is what Sanders argues. Um, And this is, interestingly enough, you know, Pete Buttigieg has not, as far as I know, been making this argument about, you know, it costs too much or it kicks millions of people off of their private health insurance. He has mostly been making this argument that it's divisive, it's politically divisive, and people should have a choice whether they want it or not. So uh, we're going to play actually not a clip from the debate, uh, even though he said similar things, but we're going to play a campaign ad that Buttigieg just recently rolled out that makes uh, essentially the same argument. Medicare for all who want it can work in a way that creates that public alternative, gets everybody covered. But unlike the Medicare for all plan, it doesn't dictate that to the American people and risk further polarizing them. So, Stephanie, what's your takeaway on this? Uh, And again, you know, we get like new arguments about Medicare for all rolled out almost on a monthly basis. Hard to keep up with. Yeah. So what's your take on this like divisiveness uh, framing of an attack on Medicare for all? Wow. Dictate is quite a choice Mm -hmm. of words there. I think what he really meant to say was, you know, my billionaire supporters do not want to be dictated to pay (laughs) for the plebes health care. I guess it didn't go with that well in the wine cave. (laughs) Wasn't that popular. So who is divided from whom is the question here? Please do not polarize Mm -hmm. my donor base. (laughs) Um, What's ironic, I think, about that framing of 
the loss of private health insurance or mm-hmm. you know the choice is actually the most that's the most divisive argument because its very purpose is to pit Americans with you know private employer-based healthcare already you know an unfortunate lot in the mm-hmm. global scheme of things against a group even more unfortunate which is Americans without employer-based right, coverage yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> by instilling fear um, you know in the haves of of what they could lose by expanding expanding coverage to the have-nots mm-hmm. and so. Pete Buttigieg is actually the one creating this division, mm-hmm. um, but the division is down class or privilege lines, and mm-hmm. um, and not by honest differences of opinions right. among Americans, <laughs> <laughs> which is total bullshit. Yeah, and to be clear, Pete Buttigieg's health care plan does not cover everyone. It's not a universal health care nope. plan. He stole it from uh, Joe Biden. And Joe Biden stole it from the Third Way Institute. (laughs) Um, So his is basically a public option. And then you kind of extend the subsidies up a little bit higher than the current Affordable Care Act subsidies go. But they still don't cover everything. You still have to buy it like a commodity. Um, So it's not a right. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I do notice, especially when he's talking about you, you highlighted the use of the word dictate. He often uses the word command. He uses like military terms to describe what it's like to be given free health care. Um, it's like, you can't be commanded to have comprehensive coverage that's a right. Um, and with a lot of the messaging, I like to just insert public education instead of, or public schools instead of Medicare for All to see just how absurd it sounds. I mean, would it be like, command you to have a right to, <laughs> to a, a free education, you know, primary education? Um, the language is just totally, uh, at that point, I think, transparent, so. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, picking up exactly where the insurance companies' uh, spin rooms have left off with mm-hmm. seeing that actually choice wasn't uh, an advantage of employer plans because they save money by restricting choice. They do mm-hmm. actually the opposite, right? They make your network more narrow and they give you less options because they put cost barriers in the way. Um, and so they tried to flip the script by saying, mm-hmm. you know, actually, you need you need a choice of a private insurance plan. And Pete Buttigieg is just taking that, you know, argument and creating right. free PR for these mm-hmm. insurance companies for their model of the world, right. which obviously benefits their bottom line and not Yeah, and Americans. if he and the insurance companies are being honest, he would not say you get a choice. He would say your employer gets a choice for you. Exactly. Right. Your employer gets to choose which health and plan you get to stay in, whether you get a public or a private one, because as we know, most people who are not in a public insurance plan have it through their employer. They choose it for you. You, you don't, don't choose your network. You no, don't choose, you know. Yeah. So you don't get to like say, oh, I want the Medicare-like plan. Uh, that's going to be your boss who says it for you. Um, and they also get to keep saying, you know, do you get uh, abortion access and reproductive health care coverage? Uh, your employer chooses that for you as well. And so. implicitly, they get to take that away from you if you decide to leave that job. Right, right. Uh, or if they just feel like it and want to spend like less it, money. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Bernie did have a chance to rebut that. Um, and he gave his, I think, uh, his argument was just that this is a this is a proposal like many of his other proposals that kind of unites the working class. Um, and uh, but we're, we're not going to go through his clip. because We also want to talk about um, uh, Joe Biden's attack on Medicare for all, which he takes a very different tack than Buttigieg. Um, so, uh, and he, he picks it up from this, is this divisive or not? So I want to listen to a Biden clip and then we can talk about that and sort of his different attack on Medicare for all. Look, Bernie says that you have to bring people together 
and uh, we have to have Medicare for all. But Bernie says, and he says he wrote the damn thing, but he's unwilling to tell us what the damn thing's going to cost. The fact that we're in New Hampshire, very level-headed group of people, look at the numbers. <laughs> How much is it going to cost? Who's going to pay for it? It will cost more than the entire, the entire federal budget we spend now. More than the entire budget. The idea middle-class taxes aren't going to go up is, out of, is just crazy. When they did it in Vermont, what happened? They doubled the state income tax and then had a 14% tax on withholding and they finally did away with it so how much is it going to cost I, oh i wish oh dear listeners you could see stephanie's facial expressions <laughs> during this podcast there's so much to unpack there there's too much to unpack starting from new hampshire a very level-headed group of people look at the numbers hmm. what numbers is he talking about how do you what unit of measurement do you use to measure level-headedness yeah <laughs> On the Biden to Trump scale, I guess? I'm not sure. <laughs> He's up there in not level-headed land at this moment. Um, I feel like I would be very high, high on the level-headedness scale. I'm, I'm pretty level person. And we're single-payer supporters. I know, exactly. Um, I think it's just like code for like, you're a bunch of centrists. <laughs> this is what he's saying, but slash hoping. Um, it's sort of like when Amy Klobuchar is like, fiercely independent New Hampshire people. It's mm -hmm. like, you would never vote for the front runners, would you? Mm -hmm. um, but what about this um, this thing he goes on about Vermont? Mm. Um, and to quote, he says, when they did it, meaning Medicare for All in Vermont, what happened? They doubled the state income tax, then had a 14% tax on, uh, 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 on withholding. <laughs> um, and he has this whole thing about doubling the budget, so the federal budget, oh, and so on and so forth. Where do we start? <laughs> Well, first of all, I feel like the attacks on Vermont are like a game of telephone. Mm -hmm. The stories about what actually happened in Vermont with their single-payer proposal, they just get crazier and crazier with each telling. Um, I feel like the next thing we're going to hear is that like Vermont instituted a single-payer and then they were like <laughs> annexed by Venezuela or something like that. I mean, it's just such a crazy... I mean, sing Vermont didn't never even implemented a single payer policy. Right. It died actually before it could even get off the ground. And yet you hear all about the failures mm -hmm. of the single payer plan in Vermont. Um, so I think that's the first thing. Is it's that a little sad that even with a large campaign staff and probably a research team, Biden is like 20 people at the end of the telephone game removed <laughs> from what happened in Vermont. <laughs> yeah. But it may be a willful uh, misremembering. Um, so yeah. to be clear, yeah, there was no tax in Vermont. There was no single pair plan in Vermont. No. <laughs> it was uh, sort of, um, it was uh, stabbed in the back by its own creator, uh, by the, uh, the governor of Vermont, uh, Governor Shumlin, who had trampied it for many years. But then uh, when it came to a crucial step where he had to come up for how to pay for it, which is uh, allegedly what Biden is talking about, he said we shouldn't do this at all. So there was no financing plan and there was no Medicare for all coverage, unfortunately. And what about the, the cost thing, the doubling federal budget? Yeah, so that is just such a wonky conversation that mm -hmm. I'm not even sure people really care about. Um, I think maybe it scares people because they think that it's so unrealistic. But one of the things that I really like about, sometimes I think that Bernie's defense of Medicare for all can be a little simplistic mm -hmm. or he doesn't really pitch the idea all that well um, or as well as he could. But one of the things that he does that I really love um, is that whenever somebody brings up the cost, mm -hmm. he just brings it back to the very simple fact that we all like to forget because we're on this island called mm -hmm. America, um, that 
you know, dozens of high-income countries all over the world have single-payer healthcare systems and have been providing healthcare to all of their citizens at lower cost, mm-hmm. at better outcomes for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and that single-payer is not the weird, untested experiment that Biden mm-hmm. and the moderates all love to say it is, but actually that our healthcare system, this weird patchwork of private and sort of public and everything, is is the weird, untested experiment that's failing. And mm-hmm. that's why we're mm-hmm. having this conversation. That's why healthcare is one of the most important things to people um, consistently across, you know, the past several elections. Right. This whole cost argument is so just on the face of it wrong. Um, The notion that we're going to spend more, um, all you have to do is uh, every other country in the developed world has something like Medicare for all. um, And they all pay not just less than us, but usually a half or, you know, half or less to a third of what we pay. Um, and that's just because they're cutting out all the profiteers from the system and all the administrative waste. Um, but it, I think it's I agree with you that, like, when this comes up, you don't want to get into an economics argument with people. <laughs> you just you don't need to be an economist to look at the rest of the world. And exactly. Be like <laughs> you don't have to get into the weeds to, right. to see that on the face of it, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Bernie does answer something along those lines. Um, but Biden's argument is that, oh, yes, it's less, but it's it's in public spending. And therefore, <laughs> I mean, I, I want to ask him sometimes, like, would you rather pay $200 in private premiums instead of $100 in taxes? Because <laughs> that's kind of what he's saying, right? So so the last innovative argument around Medicare for All that we're going to look at comes to us via Amy Klobuchar um, from Minnesota. So, um, you know, I thought I'd, every time I hear a new argument, I, I'm like, this is going to be the last one. They must have nothing left in their bag of tricks. <laughs> but Amy Klobuchar got really innovative, and her new argument about Medicare for All is that there is not actually a debate around Medicare for All. <laughs> Listening to this same debate, and it is not real. It is not real, Bernie, because two-thirds of the Democrats in the Senate are not on your bill, and because it would kick 149 million Americans off their current health insurance in four years. Oh, where have I heard this before? It's like when my husband avoids a problem we have and I tell him he's ostriching. What's that? Oh, you stick your head in the sand? Yeah. Or, okay. <laughs> it's just like if I don't see it, it's mm-hmm. not happening. Yeah. And I mean, her, I think what she's doing is she's looking at Congress and saying there's not a strong majority in the Senate yet yeah. for Medicare for all. And therefore, the there is no debate or movement around this <laughs> for the whole country, right? It's like a That's total... That's why I'm sitting here... At it on the Democratic debate stage, talking about how there's no conversation about it at all. Exactly, <laughs> For the right. Debate in a row. <laughs> um, to her, like anything outside of Capitol Hill, just doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, whereas vast majorities of people support, and this is a the number one argument in the debates. So you know, you might have to start acknowledging the reality of this debate. Um, but then she closes with the oldie standard attack on mm-hmm. Medicare for all, which is identical to what Trump Trump argued, except that her number is somehow lower. She says like 149 million will be thrown off, where Trump said 180. Oh, did you notice? This? I didn't even notice that she said that. I was just so yeah. focused on the first part. That's just because Trump has the best lies. Oh. He has the perfect lies, right. the biggest of all the lies. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to be outdone by Democrats on his lies about Medicare for all. <laughs> so um, I think we're going to wrap up all the political debates and stuff. Um, I had one final item, which is as I was watching the Oscars and Parasite was racking up win after win after win, 
Um, I was reminded of this interesting research um, that was done around the social determinants of health and the Oscar winners. Um, now, you might think there's no way I could possibly connect the Oscars to Medicare for All, but watch, some, watch some magic happen right, right <laughs> here, okay? Um, so, uh, you know, this is, we talk a lot about the social determinants of health. Um, it's a little bit different from the healthcare system. There's now like a big body of research in the last 30 or 40 years that shows that uh, the things that most impact your health outcomes, like um, how long you live, how likely you are to get sick or not, um, actually don't have anything to do with your access to healthcare um, or the quality of the healthcare you get. It has more to do with um, uh, basically your your role in society. Um, you know, are you living in poverty? Do you have sort of control over your life? Um, do you have independence? And what's your self-perceived status within society? Do you feel that you are like way down on the totem pole with no respect, no autonomy? Or do you feel like you're like really high up in society and that, you know, you have some control over your life? So equitable societies tend to have much better health outcomes uh, regardless of what their healthcare system looks like. And again, there's huge bodies of research that have found this over and over and over again, including there is one incredible study um, that looked at um, 72 years of Oscar outcomes, and they compared people who were nominated for the Oscars and won with people who were os nominated for Oscars and did not win and looked at their life expectancy afterwards. Um, and incredibly, they found that um, controlling for everything else, like controlling for race, for gender, for, you know, where you live, all this stuff, um, that pe people who are nominated for an Oscar and win live four years longer than people who are nominated for an Oscar but don't win. Um, and this was just part of the research finding that um, it's not just like if you're poor, you live less long. It goes all the way up the income scale so that even the the status gap between middle class people and the status gaps between rich people lead to these huge divergences in health outcomes. Um, and to put that into context, if you were to eliminate all heart disease, which, you know, kills the majority of people, you know, with stroke or heart attack, that would add less than four years to your life. So it turns out that winning an Oscar is better for your health than eliminating heart disease. This sounds actually like an argument for participation trophies. Participation trophies? Oh, maybe that'll give you Everybody like one or two years. Exactly. Oh, just like the kids get. Right? <laughs> So that is it for this week. Um, obviously, a really busy week, but we'll, we're excited to get back at it next week and talk to you again. Um, if you're interested in this sort of social determinants of healthcare side of the conversation, which is really important, it also kind of connects us to um, other uh, sort of allied social movements. We actually do have a health policy training on our website at healthcarenow.org that talks about the social determinants of healthcare and the intersectionality with Medicare for All. Um, you can also uh, reach out to us at any time. Podcast at healthcarenow.org is the email. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at HCNow. Um, send us your thoughts. Send us your feedback. And there's going to be a really exciting uh, national campaign launching uh, just this coming week. So we're going to talk about that next week. And we'll have like a, a big action ask for the rest of you. So have a great week, y'all. We'll talk to you soon.